Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey guys, it's another episode of Finsider Radio, a special night. Uh, usually we do these on Thursday nights, but Dolphins' first preseason game is tomorrow, so we got a special one tonight, uh, a little bit later than usual too, so I apologize to everyone on the East Coast, with the exception of our two guest hosts tonight who are both uh, out that way. Uh, my, As always, my loyal uh, co-host and good friend, Duke, what's going on? Not a whole lot, man. And uh, I've decided that Lewis will just be Lewis tonight. No angry Lewis. Got nothing to be angry about. Dolphins football comes tomorrow. It's, it's, a, it's an easy time to be excited right now. There's a lot of good things going on. We'll talk about all that tonight. Uh, there's uh, I'm actually stoked about the fact that uh, Ryan Tannehill landed on one of the four uh, Sports Illustrated issues for fantasy football. I know some people are groaning about that because of the whole SI curse. Uh, does that thing apply when it's divided up into four covers? Or, I mean, does he get like a quarter of the the bad juju that go, comes along with the SI cover? Or is that not really a big deal? Because I'm, I'm happy about it. I thought it, when I saw that he was one of the poor guys on there, the only thing I thought was negative was the fact that I'm looking to draft him in my league, and now I feel like some people might be onto that a little bit. But it's pretty high praise. I mean, he's appearing on there. Marshawn Lynch got one of the covers. Antonio Brown's also on there. So, I mean, for Tannehill, I, I know that they're trying to say that Tannehill's the, the sleeper quarterback and perhaps sleeper player of 2015. So, I mean, that's cool. Thanks for setting the bar so high, but... Uh, I'm excited. So we've already got people trying to call in tonight. We've got a lot to talk about. Our guest line, if you guys don't know the number, it's 347-326-9461. I will be taking your calls throughout the show. Uh, I'm doing double duty, which means that in addition to hosting this, I'm also working the the queue when you guys call in. So I might duck out from time to time if I do. That's where I am. So... uh, just to kind of get things going, because we've got so much to talk about tonight, uh, we'll get to the, really, it's the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and it's also pure comedy gold. So at Jets camp yesterday, uh, the reports started coming out. I forget, it, 
sometime around noon, maybe, maybe a little bit earlier, that uh, Geno Smith was going to be out six to ten weeks is what I saw in there. I remember thinking, like, well, that sounds like a horrific injury. Turns out it's his own player that decked him in the face. So, and and after a lot of reports came out, it sounds like Geno Smith might have been the instigator in this uh, this situation. I don't mean to laugh at someone's misfortune. Uh, he broke his jaw in two places. Uh, it sounds like it's just an absolute miserable injury to have. He's probably going to be drinking through a straw for the for the time being. That's nothing to laugh at. What is to laugh at is the, the fact that it happened to the Jets. This kind of stuff seems to follow them around. Uh, we have to listen to their fans every offseason with their r- ridiculous bravado. I don't know where it comes from. They haven't won a Super Bowl since 1969. Uh, so I, I don't understand why those guys uh, are so keen on marching on every year and giving it, giving it to us in the fan base. But this is, this is so just it almost hurts. And I, I got to ask, and we'll start with Duke. What was your reaction when it came out that it was a, it was a practice squad linebacker uh, knocking out the, the, the starting quarterback for six to ten weeks? And I understand that. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick was already in the, in the fold anyway. But what was your reaction to this? Because it is, it, it's already the most ridiculous. In a year where you had guys blowing their hands, hands off with fireworks, uh, the whole deflate gate thing, this might be the most ridiculous story of them all. Yeah, my my first reaction was like, it was pretty much just unbelievable. And I, I think you said it best on Facebook. You said Jets going to Jet. And uh, that pretty much sums it up. Just kind of, I mean, just look at everything that's, like you said, this offseason, of all the stuff that's happened. You got the deflate gate stuff, which is, Seems to be getting crazier by the minute. Then you got uh, the 49ers going from a, a uh, one play away from being a Super Bowl champion to have their, uh, I think there's what, two players on their defense, uh, starters on their defense that were on that Super Bowl team. Everybody's retired. And then you have the JPP thing. And all this crazy stuff uh, a, a guy from the Bills, uh, some coach, you know, threatened a kid or something down in Florida. Who knows? Just some crazy junk. And this beats all of that. I mean, it just, I mean, it, it was as if they made a bet for the $600 that they're talking about. Like, what's the craziest thing we can do to top all the other crazy stuff that's happened in the NFL offseason? And that's what they did. It just, it's unbelievable. I mean, and I don't, I mean, I don't feel bad necessarily for the people involved. I mean, it's, stupid things happen. People do dumb stuff all the time, but, it's just kind of like, you know, at first you thought, well, it's a, it's a fight. And then it's a locker room fight. And the guy sacrificed him. And then it was over money that Geno Smith owed him. And now it, it turns out that Geno Smith was kind of like, no, I'm not going to give you this money. And it, it just, it's just bizarre. And, you know, had this been, say, the Kansas City Chiefs, we'd probably be like, yeah, it's kind of a weird story. But since it's the Jets, they just, you know, that's, it, it's like a, a 99 level on, on unintentional uh, comedy scale. It, it's par for the course, really. And the irony in all this is he gets knocked out when he's wearing the red jersey. I mean, he's wearing that so people don't hit him. 
and, and now I mean it's his and, draws and pieces. And I mean, like, I, I should top of all of it. The guy who did that was he was immediately cut, which was probably the right thing to do. I commend Todd Bowles for doing that, and I almost feel bad for Todd Bowles because I like him and I don't want him to be successful as a Jets coach. But I don't. I would like him to be successful as a coach, just not with the Jets. But anyway, so he he rightfully cuts the guy. Uh, you, you can't have stuff like that going on in your locker room. Then the guy gets picked up by Rex Ryan and the Bills. That's just. I mean, it was almost when when I saw that. It was just, I just kind of nodded my head like, yeah, that's, that's how it was going to go. I, I wasn't even surprised. Rex Ryan is like in Happy Gilmer when he hires that, that homeless guy to be his caddy just because. That's the kind of stuff that Rex Ryan does. He just brings along like, what, that guy just broke uh, broke the jaw of a, of a rival quarterback in our division. Sign him immediately. Let's go get a snack. Something like that. I mean, if yeah. if you actually think the guy the guy's going to be a good player, that's fine. But if you're doing it just to, I'm sorry, but if you're doing it just to be a douche, and I suspect that that's that's what that's the case in this instance, then whatever. Just like we say, Jets are going to jet. Rex is going to Rex, and that's yeah, that's and I mean, so, that's so Rex. And, and that was one of the after I saw it, one of my first thoughts that I, I was going to actually tweet something about it, and then I got sidetracked or something else was that. It was almost as if that was Rex Ryan's final middle finger to the Jets for saying, you stuck me with Geno Smith, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the guy that stuck him in the face. Uh, kind of like saying, yeah, this this is, you know, it, it was it was kind of, it, it was expected almost, and, and he, he took that guy. It's, it's, I agree with you. I think it's almost out of spite. Like, it's like this guy's not going to make the bills. He's probably going to get cut week four of the preseason, it's like all the other hopefuls out there, but you know, Rex Ryan did this kind of like, yeah, that team used to be my team, and I got Cam because of that quarterback, so I'm going to pick up the guy that just broke his face. We'll get Lewis's take, and then we're going to go to the phones. We have our first caller. Lewis, what did you think? Because I saw, actually, your tweet was one of the first I saw about it, so nice job there. Because I, I remember reading that, and I was like, what is going on? Um. I'm I'm in the minority of Dolphins fans and probably football fans in general because I did not find it funny, like not even in the slightest, and I'm going to tell you why. Besides the fact that just on a human being level, you, first of all, Gino, you don't stick your you don't stick your finger in a man's face ever. That's going to make them see red, no matter who you are. And the dude who punched him in the like really, you couldn't have come up with a better solution than to knock this guy out. Come on, man, and. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I was more sensitive to it because, and Duke, you were there for this, so you know. We were we, one day removed from ending my show with a discussion about these players throwing their careers away for stupid stuff. And then this report comes out that this linebacker just knocked out the starting quarterback for the Jets. Like, really? One day removed from talking about it, we get more of it. And on the Jets, again... Like, forget the Jets going to Jet. I get that. The Jets, they're a mess. But it's like, wh- again, what goes through these players' minds? They don't, it's like, where does the common sense begin? At what point do you have to punish yourself before you realize, you know, maybe I need to change how I approach things so I stop getting punished and I don't lose all, on a chance at millions and millions of dollars. At the very least, you're making thousands of dollars, which is a lot more than 
even like what undrafted free agents, they're going to make more money than a lot of other people do in all in one year. So you're throwing your money away for stupid things. And that gets to me more than anything else. You may have to call me angry Lewis, at least for just this segment, because I saw that tweet. I saw that report and I just couldn't stop shaking my head. I saw all these people tweeting how it's so funny that the Jets did this. And like, I'm, I didn't think it was funny at all. I really did not think it was at all funny because, like, why? Why do you do these things? And it's not just the Jets. The Bills do it. The the Dolphins have issues with this sometimes. Everybody goes through this. But it's like once you reach the NFL, suddenly you, your brain just goes away. Every every ounce of common sense you had that you might have had growing up, it just dies because you're in the NFL now. I, I, well, I, don't, I don't think the case that I maybe wish there I could wasn't get ever any common sense. I think for I mean, me, that's true. To, to re to go on what you were saying, I don't think it's so much a, a situation. The situation itself is funny um, because, again, like you said, you know, guys are are throwing away careers. They're making mistakes for for petty things. I think what makes what the comedy part of it is, or at least for Dolphins fans, is the fact that you take the most ridiculous story you can possibly think of. On top of all the other ridiculous stories this off season, of course it happens to be from the Jets. Um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not laughing at or, or you know, I'm thinking about the players involved with that. I mean, I don't, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Geno Smith, they he helped the Dolphins. I'm like, well, yeah, Geno Smith uh, put up a perfect pass rating against the Dolphins in Week 17. The Dolphins could not stop Geno Smith. So I'm like, you know, he. Who's going to laugh about that? But, you know, it's just the fact that something silly and ridiculous happened to the Jets. Um, you know, I mean, had it been the – had JPP played for the Jets, we'd, you know, we'd think that was the the fact that something crazy happened to the Jets. So because it was the Giants, people were like, you know, at least in our division, we don't care that it's the Giants. So – you know, I, that, I think that's where the comedy stuff comes from. I mean, if people are actually I would, I would agree. And I think that um, actually for after tonight, we're going to call you Serious Lewis. That's the, the name we'll throw out there for tonight. Yeah, I take I take stuff like this seriously. This like if you want to get yourself, I, you can get yourself in the trouble in different ways. Uh, but like, come on, man! You punching out your own teammate? You got to be kidding me! I agree. Well, I mean, that part of it, it isn't funny. And it was over six hundred dollars. I mean, I, I could understand if you are, you know, like I've got friends. You know, they they own their own businesses. They they do things, and six hundred dollars to them is, you know, the difference between, you know, paying a bill this month and and not paying a bill. Uh, but for for NFL players, even if you're bottom of the barrel, that's nothing. Uh, and the fact if you, that you use your money wisely, if you use your money wisely, like don't yeah, throw it I mean, away on cars yeah. and strip clubs and all yeah, that stuff. I mean, you're, then I mean, you're talking about a, a backup linebacker. You know, he's not making a bunch of money, but he's making more money doing what he's doing than he is going to make somewhere else. You know, uh, he, he's not going to have as lucrative a job somewhere else. Let's put it that way. So. The, the fact that it was over, to in their sense, a petty amount of money, um, is just that's 
it's just ridiculous. I mean, it, had it been sixty thousand dollars, that makes that would make sense to me, uh, you know, because that's that would make it more believable. But six hundred dollars between the guys, and the fact that one guy who's making, I know at least a hundred some thousand dollars last year, if not more than that, was not willing to pay that, or it was disputed he wouldn't pay that, or wasn't going to pay it. You know, that's just dumb, and. I mean, I don't know if that whole that whole part of it when that came out. I mean, I could understand had it been over something, you know, a girl or or you know any other thing, but just the fact that it was over a small amount of money. I think I saw what Charles Bentley put on Twitter today. He said uh, teammate. He said he got into fights with teammates over who was going to buy a stripper a refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's, a, that's, a, that's a serious thing. Uh, a couple of, I, I want to get out of this conversation now just because of, we got so much else to talk about. We can put a positive spin on, uh, I mean, Dolphin season starts technically tomorrow night with the preseason. They're up in Chicago uh, near me. They returned to where they absolutely beat down the Bears last year, which provided me with at least four years of uh, of great smack talk material. I don't usually say smack. I say something else. But uh, let's go to the phone. I believe we're going to Orlando right now. Caller, you are on the air. What's going on? Nothing much. You always, how many like, area codes do you call us from? This is the one that I've been calling for a while now. <laughs> yeah, you always call from Orlando. I thought for a while he was calling us from Tennessee. Yeah, I used to live in Tennessee, but I've been in Orlando for about a year and a half now. Oh, man. What's going on, anyway? Uh, nothing much, and I know you want to get off of this subject, um, but I just have two points. First off, the reason why Gino said he didn't want to pay was because he said the reason why he missed the camp was because he had to attend a funeral of a friend. That's why he was arguing about not paying it. And I think he was going to pay, but IK, however you pronounce his name, was just like real adamant about it and just you know that six hundred dollars you could have at least said blah 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 look it's the death and you know a death of a close friend i had to attend a funeral i couldn't make it and then he just kept pushing and pushing and that's when the finger came out and the rest is a wrap but here's my question regarding the whole thing granted we had our whole bully gate scandal we had our whole, you know, this scandal, that scandal. But how many people do you think are looking at the Jets coaching staff and the Bills coaching staff and the Patriots coaching staff and then thanking God that we have old Silver Philbin over here? You know, I mean, yeah, he had the bully gate thing, but he wasn't really a part of that. It was more of an off-the-field situation that became an on-the-field situation because a lot of that stuff happened when they were away from the field. So how many people do you think are going to change their tune about Philbin this year? all because of all this other stuff that is happening to the other three teams. 
Well, I'll, I'll chime in because I read something about about Fielden today that kind of made me feel a little bit better about him was, uh, I don't remember which paper it was, it wrote an article about Chris McCain, and they said that, uh, they were talking about, he, he had said something about, I guess, the Patriots or something on Twitter, and he said the coach taught him in his office, and you know he talked about how in college, how him and his coach had got into it, and basically the coach cut him, it was like a 10-second conver- conversation, he's pretty much like, we're going to go separate ways, and that was it. So he goes into Philbin's office and he said, what Philbin said was, you know, just be mindful of what you put out there, you know, basically just be careful what you say. And it, it was kind of a, I could almost imagine, it was kind of from, from remembering hard knocks, kind of how Philbin would say it, but it, it seems to me that's, that's some kind of growth. He wasn't like, we're going to cut this out, we need a leadership council or something. He's just like, you know, just be careful what you say. And uh, yeah, you know, and after all this other kind of stuff, it's kind of like he's he's grown a little bit. He's he's learning how to relate more to his players now. I, I think they're opening up to that. Um, so you know, I, I think obviously if he doesn't win or make the playoffs this year, fans are going to you know they're they're, they're going to boo him out of town. But you know, if he wins, if he wins, if he makes the playoffs, I think I think fans will change the tune because of that, and then they're going to look back at the situation with in, in 2013 and say, you know what, he he has he's not as as bad of a a personnel manager as we thought he was. I think that getting Bill Lazor in there really changed a lot of things. I know that I pushed for if the the Dolphins don't make the playoffs this year, that I'd like to see them pull a sort of um, move similar to what the Packers did with uh, Mike Sherman and Mike McCarthy uh, 10 years ago. So, I mean, that's something I have interest in still, but I do like, I have Joe saying all the right things right now. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Joe Philbin. I, I mean, I liked the hire at first. I was okay with it. Uh, not as big of a fan last year with a lot of, uh, I felt like a lot of the, the game management uh, was lacking. But I like what he's saying this year. It sounds like he's starting to finally relax a little bit. Start, now it's like he's starting to trust his quarterback more. All the stuff that we were hoping we were going to see from this guy, and I hope to see more of it. But, I mean, I, so far this season, no, or I should say this offseason still, uh, no complaints, and uh, I'm glad he's in there. So I'm excited to see if he does I think he's allowing himself to use his head more. you got to remember, this guy, the first year that he came in into the NFL as a head coach, lost his son. And shortly thereafter, he lost his father. And, you know, so on top of that, he had a guy that he worked under as an offensive coordinator working under him, highly respected, things like that. So I think he put a lot of emphasis on and a lot of trust on the people that he had around him that maybe he shouldn't have, you know, for a a lack of a better understanding, you know, like Sherman. I respect the guy. I trust everything he says fully. Absolutely. But think about it. It's not for the fact that Ross pretty much put the screws to Philbin to make a change. Uh, we, I mean, we'd still – you'd likely still have Mike Sherman in there as offensive coordinator. There's The only reason that change was made is because it came from above. 
And speaking of coming from above, I think we've got to look at the situation too. Is I mean, when Philbin was first hired, he was hired with Jeff Ireland, who uh, we all know is not the most pleasant of individuals uh, to be around. It seemed like he always seemed like he was kind of a uh, prickly personality. And he brought in Hickey and now Tannenbaum, who I have combined into Hickey Bomb. But but I, I've read some stuff and. Um, uh, the Fin Maniacs guy, his name Matthew, that got started that side or whatever, he said that he had heard some stuff about when Tannenbaum kind of changed the mentality of the team, kind of changed some of the stuff, starting from the top down. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think that's helpful too. I think, I, I don't, you know, a lot of people said, well, these guys are leaving Philbin out of decisions and things like that. I don't think it's the same. I just think he's got, they've got better people to work with. I mean, I think most of us would probably agree that if we were a coach or we were in a situation where we had to work with with Jeff Ireland or that we probably wouldn't wouldn't have got along with him. Um, you know, I I don't have a problem with some of his person you know, his the moves he made. I mean he drafted Tannehill, we all like him, but um he just seemed like a guy that was kind of difficult to work with. Uh and I think he's gonna be a Yeah. And now he's, he's that Philbin's got guys that can that that are more pleasant to work with. I mean, maybe it's just a better work environment uh, from from that aspect. It is well, a better like work Google environment. It is a better work like environment. It. You can tell just by being around the team that the atmosphere is different. Uh, you look you look around, you see everybody's hanging out, they're having a good time. There's no more splits in the locker room, you, these guys have, re- the whole idea of stronger together has actually become a true motto and it's something that they're taking into account. There's no more I want the ball more and after reading that report that Wallace had demanded Laser tell Tannehill to throw him the ball more th- that kind of mentality is no longer in the organization. It, it, even a, Even somebody who's not around the team, you can feel the difference in the atmosphere and all the players have come out and said, yeah, it feels different this year. It's, it's much more comfortable. It's much more, uh, it's not as tense as it used to be. And all that has a lot to do with whether a team can win or lose. That's what is called team chemistry. And people, some people don't think it exists, but when you see these players coming on and saying, it feels a lot different. It feels much like a much better work environment. You don't have to like hold your breath waiting for something to snap. That lends to making the entire team better as a result because now you guys are backing each other up instead of tearing each other down. Really great. Cool. I think that's like, a great way of looking at it, too. And I think a lot of that comes from Tannehill now being a leader of this team. Um, when you when you have the, the receivers that you had in the past where they were the high-paid high players, uh, they are the veteran players, you know, I can see how there would be friction there. I listened to the Daniel Jeremiah podcast, or at least I saw a video of it, where he talked about Tannehill's part. And Brady Quinn was talking about how there just wasn't, you know, I know people don't necessarily like the term chemistry, but there was just this lack of, basically, if I had to put it one way, they weren't friends. Um, and now I think you've got a receiving core. You've got weapons around Tannehill that kind of understand he's the guy. You're going to do as he says. It's not going to be the other way around. And I think that, to me, that makes a lot of stuff lighter because you're kind of like, you know, this, you know, they understand he's he's the guy that you're going with. And there's not going to be a change 
and and I think the guys in there like Jarvis Landry and even Rashard Matthews, they're you know Tim Hill's even said these guys are are he trusts them to he's just gonna throw the ball out there and they're gonna go get it and they just have this relationship together. They they work in the off season. They've done some stuff. I Man, I know there was a picture on Instagram uh, earlier in uh, it was right before um, right before uh, free agency started where. Tannehill was out there throwing with Landry and, and Matthews, and I think there's one other person out there I can't remember. And uh, they're just working out together. There's this, they're friends now, and I think just that kind of bond, especially with the quarterback, the most important position. I think that's that's eased a lot of stuff. You don't have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of guff coming from these high-paid players now. You have uh, the the high-paid players are. At, at positions that aren't dependent upon the quarterback, a guy like Sue, you know, he's going to do what he does. So, I, I think just that change around the quarterback has made a lot of things better. And the I think having Greg Jennings around, uh, I, the, actually, I wonder if you're going to make the same point. Uh, what I was going to say is uh, the best thing about having Greg Jennings in there for me, aside from the fact that he's really built in the mold that you want to see in this offense is the fact that he's someone who will teach these youngsters that they don't already know, and I suspect they already do, that you don't bite the hand that feeds. You never saw Greg Jennings up, up there saying that Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw me the ball enough. Yeah, granted, when he went into free agency, it turned into a little bit of a different story. But when you talk about Mike Wallace going to Bill Lazor and saying he's not getting the ball enough, that's not Ryan Tannehill's show. That's not allowing your quarterback to run the show because you're trying to pull strings and dictate things. That cannot happen, especially in an offense like this, especially where they have this offense where you're trying to spread it out, you're trying to get out the ball fast, and you depend on your quarterback to just really be the, I mean, be not only the arm, but the legs of your offense at times. So Greg Jennings is the kind of guy that will teach them, you know, by the hand of feet. And that's why, I mean, I was a big fan of Kenny Stills. When he came out of Oklahoma, I wanted to draft him in 2013. Duke knows that. We looked at ad nauseum. We looked at all the receivers in that draft because at that point that receiver was a hot-button topic in Miami. And Stills is a guy I really like, great route runner, fast, uh, great hands, uh, just a total package, and bigger than you'd expect uh, over, uh, I think he's around six feet tall. So, But the thing about him that really impressed me is during his press conferences when he came down to Miami and everything, he just talked about putting in the work on the field. People were like, well, what kind of receiver are you? You know, are you the speed? You're, now you're going to replace Mike Wallace as the speed guy. And he'd say, well, I mean, whose analysis is that? Who said that about me? All he wants to do is go out there and work. And all of these guys, I know I harp on this, all of these guys want to go and make plays for their quarterback. They're not going to Bill Lazor saying, I'm not getting the ball enough. You know what? You're going to get what you get, and you like it. You're a part of this offense, and you're an important part. But when you're trying to force the quarterback's hand, now you've got problems. And that can't happen, especially with a young quarterback. So I agree that I think what feels the most different with this team, it is Brian Tannehill's show. He doesn't have to sit there and try to cater to Mike Wallace. He doesn't have to sit there and spend, spend uh, a needless amount of time every game trying to feed his ego and he, instead of running the offense thinking, am I throwing the ball to number 11 enough? Now he can run the offense thinking, I can just make the plays I need to. I can just find the guys that are open. They're not. I trust them. I know that these guys are going to make plays for me. That is how you set things up for a young quarterback. 
So I think that's important. And imagine what it's going to be like when Parker enters the fold. Because this is a, a topic I actually want to segue into. I didn't mean to cut off Dolphin fan for life. Go ahead. You're going to say something else about Jennings. It's all right. It, it was pretty much the same thing, except I want to expand on it a little bit. And the reason why I brought up Greg Jennings is because with our offense now, he's the exception and not the rule. Beforehand, we had all these veterans, and all of them, it's pretty much like the older brother looks at the younger brother and says, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to follow you. The thing with Jennings is, is that coming from an offense like Green Bay, he's kept this mentality where he's still got a young man's mentality when it comes to the receiver position. I'm here to help the QB. The QB is not here to help me. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, somebody said it before, he trusts that Tannehill trusts these guys. But I think on the other flip side of it, the other guys trust him too. So it, yeah. and they look up to him because other than Jennings, which, like I said, still has that young man's mentality. So he was a perfect fit for all these young guys is that all these people can't say, well, I've been here, I've done that, how can you tell me any different? Because when you look at the timing of when he was drafted and everybody else was drafted, everybody else was drafted after him. So he's now the been there, done that guy of the team. Except maybe Jordan Cameron, I don't remember how long he's been in the NFL, but still, you know. He came in in 2011. Yeah, so... I mean, he's not that he's not that much older than Tannehill. So, I mean, it's just that's pretty much what feels different. And, I mean, even if you take guys just to branch off a second, even if you take guys that we brought in like Sue, now Sue's all about making the team better because he had to make the Detroit defense better. I mean, he was the guy that everybody – listened to everybody worked around and that's exactly what he does and you know that's the difference we don't have the lead by example they're going to show you and then show you their work and show you how to get to where they are whereas before I want to like, hit on something that I think both of you talked about and it, was, it came from that Daniel Jeremiah podcast, and, and Brady Quinn was on there. Of course, he was with the team last offseason, and he, he was talking about the deep ball in Wallace. And, and he he made the point that uh, that at some point, when, you, when you're throwing the ball out there and you're not connecting with it, you're just going to stop doing it. And his point was, you know, he was talking about some of the technical stuff. Yeah with Wallace and things like that. And we're not, I don't want to really get into that, but I think it's one of you just said this, that they were, it, it, feeding Wallace the ball was superficial. He's a $60 million man. You're throwing him the ball because he's making $60 million. Now you've got guys in there, and Tannehill's going to throw you. If you want your catches, if you want your numbers, if you want all that stuff, then go out there and make plays because we're sitting in camp now, and if, how I just what Brady Quinn said, what you guys we've all been saying is, Tannehill's going to find you if he thinks you're going to make a play on it. He's starting to say, hey, these guys are making plays on the ball. Why did Jarvis Landry 
end up saying he's four catches last year. Scott Tannehill's like, I'm going to throw the ball in this guy's vicinity, and he's going to catch it. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to force feed him the ball. He's going to throw it because he knows he's going to make a play. Same thing with Matthews, Jennings. These guys understand the quarterback. I'm, I'm going to have success if the quarterback trusts me to throw me the ball. And now you're at a point where they can say, hey, if I don't go out there and do my job, he's not going to throw me the ball. It's not about the money anymore where it's lost. Like, yeah, I'm going to get the ball because I'm making all this money. They have to throw me the ball. You know, it's going to be, they're going to look dumb if they don't. Now it's not. Can you still, if he wants the ball, he's going to have to work for it. Same thing with Matthew. Same thing with Landry. They understand this. And so they're going to get, they're going to get their, their share of stuff, not because scheme or any of that stuff. It's because Tannehill's going to trust these guys. And he's going to say, you know what? This guy, this receiver's making play. I'm going to feed him the rock. It's that simple. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I feel like this, um, outside of the quarterback position, this receiver core is now built around Jarvis Landry, in my opinion. He's a great guy to build your receiver core around because he's incredibly enthusiastic. He's a great teammate. He came in as a rookie and won everyone over immediately. And the best thing about him, and something that I've really found exciting about this team in camp, <clears throat> they're not treating him like a possession receiver. Because you heard that last year. People talking about well, this receiver core moving forward, you got Landry, the possession receiver. You know, he'll do work out of the spot. You see, he can he can make it happen over the top. He can make plays just about anywhere on the field. He doesn't have that fourth burning speed, but the thing is, is like he's got the game speed that I'm looking for. I've seen him make those plays. The guy is just, he's all over the field. He's willing to do the dirty work underneath. He can work the sidelines. We saw that multiple times last year. That guy's a true threat. And I think that he's an incredible X factor. In a lot of ways, he reminds me of Greg Jennings. And then you're bringing in all these guys who have a lot of uh, common traits. These guys are all good route runners, but you've got some that are faster than others. You've got these guys who are a little bit bigger. You bring in Devontae Parker, who's just pretty much a juggernaut, although I'm seeing in the software media that he's considered a possession receiver, which doesn't really make sense to me. But let's not harp on that. Uh, I didn't mean to cut anyone off again, but I want to ask this. And I mean, we've all been watching the Dolphins a long time. I said this the other day, and I didn't have anyone disagree with me, so I'm going to assume that other people will feel this way as well. Is this the best receiver core you've seen in Miami in your time watching football? And we'll assume that, I mean, the, the for I don't think that any of you were watching the Dolphins when they had Duper and Clayton. But since Duper and Clayton, is this the best receiver core the Dolphins have put together? I think yes. What do you think? Well, I'm I'm the oldest, so yeah, uh, I did see Duper and Clayton, but I think right now it's all wrapped up in potential. Um, if everyone realizes potential and they get there, and this receiving core has potential to be one of the best in the league this year. And maybe, you know, I don't want to say historical, but, you know, a, a one that people look at is like, let's see how you want to build your team. You've got a guy like Parker. You've got a guy in Jennings that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Just These guys have, have what it takes. And if they can get there and maximize it, they're going to be good. I mean, we're talking about Richard Matthews here right now. People are saying this guy could be a fifth receiver on the Dolphins, and he could start. I think he could start for a lot of teams. 
I mean, uh, you know, he he would absolutely start for the Patriots right now. Uh, he would be the best receiver on that team, in my opinion. Um, so, uh, you know, he's a guy that we're talking about that's having to fight his way up the depth chart. When when you've got that kind of depth, you're going pretty good. And I agree as well because I mean, I haven't I haven't watched the Dolphins that extensively for very long. I remember watching some of Chris Chambers every once in a while. I remember the uh, the big uh, Greg Camarillo thing, but other than that, it hasn't been really that much. But I can say that this much that a couple of years ago, I thought that we had gotten the best wide receiver core when we had Mike Wallace and Hartline who had a thousand yards and then Brandon Gibson. And I thought, Hey, we got something going here. Then the year after I, I realized, Oh wait, no, we don't. But this is a completely different situation because now, now that I've learned all of this and I've learned what works and what doesn't, I've come to this philosophy that I've explained on this show a couple of times now, but I'm going to say it again because of, of what it, it's appropriate a football team is a puzzle. And before it felt now now that I now I know that now that I've learned what football really is all about, I've found out that what the pieces that we were trying to put into the puzzle last year were not part of the puzzle. This they were trying to fit the wrong puzzle pieces into the wrong puzzle. Then they might have fit somewhere else, but they didn't fit here. And so when you try to work with pieces that don't work you're going to wind up running into problems. This year, however, even if they're not necessarily the most talented players on the field, I mean, if you want to say that Greg Jennings is better than Chris Chambers ever was, I'd say that's wrong. No, I don't think so at all. I would still like to have Aronde Gadsden as opposed to, um, I don't know, Richard Matthews. But it's the, the, now you see that it's not just about the individual talent of the players. It's not always that. Some, it, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. You have to evaluate bits and pieces where it is better to evaluate individual talent and when sometimes it's better to, to um, analyze as a unit. Like for the offensive line, everybody's analyzing that as a whole unit because the offensive line as a whole has failed to stop Ndamukong Sue. Somehow Jamil Douglas is being punished for it by saying, well, he's not good enough to be the, the left guard. And that's just not truth. I've been watching him. I've been looking at him. He seems like he can take a hand on the job, but because the whole unit has failed, they've decided that everybody's not good enough, and that in itself is not true. So that is when individual talent takes place over a unit. But for the wide receivers, yes, you kind of have to look at it as a unit, because now it's not just about individual talent. If you don't have someone like a Megatron or an A.J. Green or somebody like that, so the next best thing you can do is piece together players who fit what the offense is made to do, and that's what they've done this year. They removed Mike Wallace. He didn't fit. He was the wrong puzzle piece. They brought in Kenny Stills, who is kind of a similar piece, but he actually fits what we're trying to do, and he's not necessarily here to be the deep threat. There is no the deep threat in this offense anymore. In fact, I don't think I've seen him connect, connect on a deep pass to Stills yet, and not just because he's injured. Tannehill is connected with Landry. He's connected with Matthews, and at one point he connected with Lamar Miller, and I think one with Jordan Cameron. I don't see him connecting with Stills yet. Stills has pretty much been doing the same thing everybody else is doing, and he's been looking a lot better doing it than Mike Wallace ever did. You've got rid of Hartline. He didn't. Fit. He was. He was eh, kind of, but not really. And you replace him with uh, Greg Jennings, who 
that is this is what he does. He's a crisp route runner, and he has great hands. That's what he's here for. That's what the whole offense is built around. You have Richard Matthews, who's been who should have been playing a long time ago, but he didn't because coach doesn't like him. Uh, he still doesn't, by the way. So there's there might not be uh, much of Richard Matthews after Kenny Stills coming back. I hope that's not the case, but it seems to be. And you brought in a missing puzzle piece in a big red zone threat when you signed Jordan Cameron and decided to let Charles Clay walk because I love the Claymaker and I wish he could have stayed, but he doesn't give he doesn't offer the offense what Cameron does. And so far in practice, Cameron has proven to be what we wanted him to be. He's not necessarily gonna be a super seam threat. We haven't seen I haven't seen that yet. He's but when it comes to the red zone, that's where Tannehill is looking. And that's exactly what we needed from him. We needed for him to score touchdowns in the red zone and that's what he's doing. So now you see well, how all the Cameron. Jordan Cameron in Cleveland made a lot of crummy quarterbacks look pretty decent at times. I mean, that guy made some great plays. So you knew that in a in a decent system, and I'm calling Miami's decent right now, I think it's actually going to end up being pretty exceptional this, exceptional this season. Uh, you knew that he was gonna, he's capable enough, he was going to do some really good things. But if you're looking at the Dolphins receivers as a unit, then fine, because the thing is, if you look at all of them, in this offense, you have to be able to win at the line of scrimmage. You need to be able to run Chris Sprouts. And you said Greg James is a crisp route runner. I would agree with that. And I would add that he's a savvy route runner, too. That guy's really good at tempoing his routes and setting people up, which is an art unto itself and something you really need to be able to do to uh, uh, make it happen in this offense. And then the third thing is you got to be able to make it happen after the catch. I think that they have brought in a receiver core that is more than capable of that. Stills has the speed to do it. Jennings has always had the savvy to do it. We don't even know what Parker is capable of, which is terrifying when you think about it because I like the pieces in place right now. And I hope that now I know that he had the screw uh, replacement. He's got a screw loose. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, So he had the screw replaced, and I'm excited to see him a part of it because he – because the thing is when – and everyone always wants to – compare this team to Green Bay for obvious reasons. Through the the Philbin lineage, the fact that a lot of people have compared Tannehill to the stuff that Rodgers does skill-wise. And I don't have a problem with that because it's not like the Packers have a Megatron. They're big, big play receivers, Jordy Nelson. A guy, when he came out of Kansas State, people called him a possession receiver. The thing is, is they have guys who can win at the line of scrimmage. They all run great routes, and they can make things happen after the catch. When you add enough of those guys uh, to an offense, and you have a quarterback who's capable of getting all of them the ball anywhere on the field, that's when the magic happens. And I know that people want to place a lot of heavy emphasis on the deep ball. If you want to do that, that's fine, because I think Tannehill is going to be better at it than people realize. I thought the Wallace thing was a complete aberration. I think that he's got guys in there now who are going to work for him. So, and I compared Devontae Parker, I think he reminds me a lot of Jordy Nelson in his style of play. And I can see why the Dolphins were interested in him. I don't mean to make these direct comparisons and say, like, you know, Jarvis Landry is uh, is uh, Greg Jennings 2.0, even though I think I have said that. But they don't need that super X receiver who is just absolutely eating people alive one on uh, regardless. I mean, just turning teams into helpless bait. 
they've got a bunch of guys who can win, guys who can, uh, if they're one-on-one, they can make things happen. So I think that's the exciting part of it. And that's why true, I mean, I, when I, start, I started watching the Dolphins in the late 80s, and I remember when they had like Irving Fryer and O.J. McDuffie and Mark Ingram playing, I thought that was an incredible receiver core. I guess you could add Keith Jackson, too, even though he is the tight end. I was a big fan of those guys. Uh, you mentioned Aranda Gadsden. In my opinion, that guy is the quintessential possession receiver because he was just incredibly slow, but just made plays. Just, uh, I mean, if you needed stuff over the top, he could actually, like, if you need to go ahead and throw a fade route, the guy was outstanding. I remember some uh, some throws that uh, he grabbed in the corner of the end zone that were incredible. I remember thinking, like, man, you would never expect a Ronnie Gaston to pull this off. So, I mean, the, and Chris Chambers I was a big fan of. Uh, hated his hands. Loved his speed and athleticism. And the build, too. I remember when he first came out there and his arms, he just had incredible arm length. The guy is just a total freak. But, I, you know, there, he was definitely prone to drops. And I think that with this current receiver core, with these guys' plays, you, you've seen Greg Jennings in interviews talk about when he watched, he come, when he first got to this team, and he got down to South Florida, and he's watching these guys catch the ball, and he's like, yeah, these guys can do it. And he, he watched uh, Devontae Parker catch the ball, and he was like, yeah, he's got the hands. So that's the kind of stuff you're excited about. No, they don't have some megatron type receiver in there, but they've all got guys that can win. And I think that as a whole, uh, when you put all of these guys on the field, and we haven't even talked about Jordan Cameron as a tight end, that gets lethal. And you you add to that the fact that Ryan Tannehill can also run with the football if he needs to, and all of a sudden it becomes a pick-your-poison type thing. And that's the true essence of a Packers offense in my It's somebody, something has to give when you have all that talent on the field. So I, I've taken up a as lot of time here. As an individual well, analysis, we don't have the best receiver core, but as a group, probably the best core as a whole that we've had. And that's ever. what I meant. So basically one more player I want to add, well, two, because – we basically have a six-deep receiver core right now. Um, and I've been hyping this guy all, like, all off-season, and I forgot his name right now. Um, do what? Michael Preston. Yeah, Michael Preston. I watched the kid in Tennessee, and he was just amazing. But... um. And then on top of that, you have Sims. I remember this one play he made. Um, I think he barreled into the end zone or something for his first touchdown. And so you have to add him to the equation as well. And he'll be playing basically that Fasano role like Fasano played in Dallas, um, which he was successful in. So, I mean, you you take a look at all the options now, and then you have the receiver out of the backfield. So, I mean, at any point in time, you could have four or five different options, and that's even including whether you run a two-tight end set, a four-wide set, a running back, even a double running back out of the backfield. You have about four or five guys on the field at all times that can catch the football and make a play with it. 
one thing I want to say about Richard Matthews is I think that uh, is that yeah, I mean, there's been issues with him and, and Philbin in the past, and Philbin not you know you, uh, playing him as much, and there has been um, there were reports that he wasn't acting as professionally as he should, I guess, not being late to meetings and so on and so forth. I think he's changed in that regard. I think that's going to endear him to the coaching staff. I, I don't think he's going to see that from him anymore. I think he was, you know, in the offseason, he was upset because of all the stuff that all the additions that were made. However, I think he is going to see more playing time, uh, assuming he doesn't get traded for something. That, and the reason he would see more playing time is because now, Penhill's the guy, you know, a couple of years ago, he wasn't the guy. He was he was, he was supposed to be a quarter star franchise quarterback, but he wasn't yet. Now he's the guy, and if Sammy Hill trusts this guy, and 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 Sean Matthews is doing his job, he's winning out on the field where he needs to win, at the, you know, at the line of scrimmage and so on and so forth. If he's doing his part, then he's like, I want that guy on the field because I trust him. I'm going to throw him the ball a lot. I, I think he's going to end up on the field. And I know that trade I hope feels and I like his potential. But at the same time, I think Tannehill's got the he's, – he's in a position now that he, where he can say, I like the guys I've got, but I'm going to throw him the ball more. I think I'd like to see him out there a little more. And I think they'll do that. Well, it feels like a complete receiver core for one. Instead of – I mean, and we've been punished with this over the years, like when we're trying to talk ourselves into Legadoo Nene and whatnot. I mean, and that was just such a disaster. One thing I want to do, we got another caller. I'm going to keep all you guys on because uh, I'm enjoying the conversation thus far and really you're a part of the show at this point. So um, if we could go ahead and uh, we'll go to the phones real quick. Uh, what's going on? Who am I talking to? This is Marty from uh, South Carolina. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Doing uh, you call today or you you're, uh radio station i want to call in and um just tell you guys thanks and y'all doing a good job and uh with the receivers man i think we got a loaded house uh personally if it wasn't for the leadership that uh greg jennings brings i would drop him y'all might some people might wouldn't think that but uh as far as every receiver that we have on our roster, seems like right now, uh, Matt, uh, the the uh, Preston guy, and even Matt Hazel, I, to me, I mean, I don't know if he showed up much in camp, but uh, this that guy has potential also. But uh, man, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I can't, I can't wait uh, for the season. To, <laughs> I'm sure you guys are. I'm just excited to see uh, Tannehill finally get to take over this offense without any distractions, without anyone in his ear. And he can just go out there and he's got, he's, they've finally put the receiver core around him that he deserves and he needs. I mean, we've talked about it. They come in all shapes and sizes and speed right now. I mean, you've got some guys on the team who are absolute burners. You've got a couple who are more than capable of getting downfield. And you've got a couple of guys who are just absolute tanks. So, I mean, like, it's exciting. And, I mean, yeah, like we were discussing earlier, a lot of these guys have at least a thing or two in common. Uh, before, Mike Wallace had the speed. And he could win at, at the line of scrimmage. He was bigger than people thought. But he was an awful route runner. 
just not very good at all. Whereas Brian Hartline, outstanding route runner, uh, could win uh, could win at the line of scrimmage surprisingly well. He was savvy, but just no yards after catch with him. He just didn't have the explosion to do it. I mean, typically, I mean, he'd catch, he'd catch the ball and then fall down. So, I mean, now you're yeah, seeing guys who can do it. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think we've got the crew there as far as with that. I just hope that Tannehill is going to be able to have to uh, to throw the football, which would be the guards. But I'm going to step out on a limb tonight, and i tell you guys something that, that you know, I, I haven't heard a lot of good reviews, but I haven't heard a lot of negative. And that's uh, – on Dallas Thomas, our uh, offensive lineman. I really think that we, I know, man, I know you guys don't like him. I don't never really have cared for him, but I really do believe he is going to surprise us at guard. No, really uh, he doesn't bother him. me. He doesn't bother me. Lewis hates him, but uh, he doesn't. Uh, I've been watching him every day in camp while I melt and lose five pounds a day. He's flopped on his face again. Like I said, isn't he going against Sue every day in practice? He's not facing Sue. He's facing Earl Mitchell. Okay, all right. See, I'm in South Carolina, man. I wish God I could go to a game one day down there, but uh. From what I'm seeing and hearing, you know, I, I'm 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 hearing that he is better than what he was last year, and you know that 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 things have improved in a lot of ways for him. Yeah, my my guys could observe it. I'm excited for Jamil Douglas. Actually, That's I think that he's going to be a, a lot. Yeah, I think he's going to be a lot better than people think. And I'd be mean, like, he kind of had sort of that sleeper-type buzz when they drafted him. Uh, I watched him in college. I really liked him a lot. Um, so when I they picked him that Saturday, I was like, yeah, this could work. So, I mean, that's an awful – I mean, the thing is, is – and I was thinking about this the other day. You've got this offensive line going up against arguably the most disruptive defensive line in the game outside of probably J.J. Watt. So outside of J.J. Watt, these guys are seeing the biggest beast defensive lineman right. in the league. You're not, it's not like they're seeing – you're not, you're not getting torn up by Randy Starks here, who was, I mean, a really good defensive lineman. But, I mean, it's not like he was ever considered like the best defensive tackle in the league. It's not like a team, he was an absolute uh, scheme destroyer. Like, I mean, and Dominican Sue got paid that money for a reason. He is an absolute destroyer, you know. Rock now, ask questions later with this guy. So, I mean, you got to feel for these people who are going up against him in camp, but realize that outside of J.J. Watt, they're not going to see a better defensive lineman this year than Endomic and Sue. And I'm sure they're all thinking, God. Deep. Hey, wait, wait, Uh, hold it, hold it. Are you you yelling? Because I'm going to mute you if you don't stop. (laughs) Okay, I I understand what you're saying, and this is the this is the exact reason that I've been willing to give Billy Turner and those guys the benefit of the doubt. But I'm not willing to give Dallas Thomas and Jamil Douglas that benefit of the doubt because they're that's, not facing. That's fine, but it, it it's not up to you. And we're talking we're not even talking about them right now. We're talking about the entire offensive line. You're the one who's in the collective play. I'm talking about it collectively. 
we're talking about the whole scheme right now. We're not talking about just those guys. But the, thing, the returns that are coming in right now from you and from everyone else on Twitter is that these guys are getting beaten to hell. Of course they're getting beaten to hell. That doesn't exactly. excuse all of them. You, you want to see... You want to see it from, I mean, you, you don't want this kind of play going forward because, I mean, when you've got the prize back there and Ryan Tannehill, who's already taken a beating in his short NFL career, you don't want to see that going forward. But in terms of the entire offensive line, I worry right now, I am worried more about Brandon Albert getting healthy and getting back into the fold than I am the revolving door guard. And that's not to say that I'm, I'm not concerned with guard. I'm very much concerned with guard, but I am more worried about getting left tackle loaded up because that, in my opinion, then that's when things really get off kilter because then it's like, well, we're going to bring Jawan James back over there. What's Jason Fox doing? And it just turns into a complete mess. So it's all, in my opinion, dependent on that anchor over on the left side. That said, uh, Dallas Thomas, I liked him when we drafted him. Haven't seen it yet. I know that it was a problem because they kept they insisted that he was a tackle early on, and he just got absolutely mauled over there. And then they kicked him to the inside, and really haven't seen much of a change. So you just worry maybe he's one of those guys that's just caught up in limbo. I don't know, but until I see otherwise, until that we really get through an entire season, I still like Jameel Douglas. I know that I know that Lewis has been down there watching uh, watching the camp. I know that he's he's watching these guys get eaten alive. I'm Dallas Thomas. I mean, I can take or leave at this point. I mean, I would love for him to play well, especially because I mean he was selected, I believe, as a third rounder. So you you'd like to see that from him. But Jamil Douglas, the kid, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Go. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, I think uh, that I'm with you as far as with Brandon now, but we've got to get him back on the field. And if we can get Brandon Albert back on that field and get him back at a healthy, you know, at a healthy uh, lineman, being healthy, then I honestly believe, too, that Fox could move over to a guard and really fight for a guard position. And and let me ask you a question. I mean, how many uh, three Pro Bowl linemen or more have ever been on a team and, and went to the Super Bowl. You know, most times you don't even hear of maybe but one or two off of that line that's Pro Bowl caliber players. And we've got three already. Yeah, these that offensive line had the deck stacked against them in terms of going up against these dudes. Uh, I think Earl Mitchell's actually going to have a real – I think Earl Mitchell's a guy who's going to really benefit – from being around a Dominican Sioux. I know everyone's excited to see Jordan Phillips learn from him. I am too. I think that Jordan Phillips can be an absolute monster if he stays if he stays close to a Dominican Sioux and really absorbs what that guy has to offer. But I think that Earl Mitchell is going to really surprise some people. I think that that guy's got some uh, he's got some talent that we I mean we've seen some of it. I think that you're gonna you're gonna be impressed with with his output. Uh, and I hope he stays healthy because I think that he can do good things. I think now that he's got a, a tackle that can pretty much help him alleviate the double team, he'll be a lot better. But one thing I want to say about the offensive line, and um, the thing is, and I know some people said, oh, well, they played 11 players in, 
and Indy and still made the playoffs and blah, 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 blah. But they have to understand these guys haven't really played a full season together. None of them. Any of them. Pouncey was suspended and he got moved over to right guard, did this, that, and whatever. James, James played the whole season, but he didn't play with any of those guys on the offensive line all season. Then you have, you know, pick any two players on the offensive line right now, and I can tell you they have yet to play a full season together. And you have these people that are coming in and talking about how Jamil Douglas is getting beaten by Sue or Mitchell. And to be honest with you, all of the guards are playing both positions right now. They're trying to mix and match, find out which ones work where. Jamil Douglas has played left guard. He's played right guard. McClendon, right guard, left guard. You know, and that's the thing. None of the the guys have played together at all. And then on top of that, you have a limited amount of reps because you want to see how this person does with the first players, and then you want to see how they do with the second players. You want to see how they do with the third stringers. So, I mean... Once everything gets settled, you can't really get an adjustment until they have the five guys that they want to put on the field, on the field at the same time, building that chemistry. And I don't care what they say. Chemistry exists. No, I'm certainly not debating the the chemistry part of it at all. Uh, The one thing, hey, Marty, uh, we're going to, we got another caller, so we're going to move on, but um, thanks for giving us a call, and uh, we hope to hear from you again next week. All right, man, thanks for letting me come on your show, man. I greatly appreciate it. You guys do a great job, and uh, I want to give a shout out to Dennis Hickey and the rest of the guys. Thanks for, for breaking out the bank, baby, and helping us out. All right, man. All right, man. All right. You have a great night. All right, buddy. You too. All right. Thanks. I'm gonna, Bye. I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a second to throw out a, a, a an unpopular opinion. Okay. I think the Dolphins should have used one of those fifth round picks that they had on Leo Collins. Hmm. No, I mean that I get that part of it. The one thing I one point I want to make before we take because we got another caller waiting. Uh, the one thing I want to say is, uh, I the guard problem. Yeah, it's far. It's far from ideal right now, and I mean, you don't want to go into a season with uncertainty uh, along the offensive uh, offensive interior. Uh, the thing is, though, I wish that they could almost just truck in another team's offensive line because I feel like most guards would have an issue with Sue and Earl Mitchell right now. You can well, bring other guys in. They will be when they bring in Carolina. Yeah. So, I mean, like, and you can go ahead and then if if those guys hold up and Sue and Mitchell look ridiculous, you know, are just held just absolutely uh, just rendered ineffective by another team's guards, then I think that that would probably give people a, a better idea. We've got calls loading in now, so we'll just uh, start taking these. 
Uh, I do want to get back to Lewis's point, though, because I feel that uh, he had something important to say. Uh, we'll ask him after this call. Uh, caller, you're on the air. What's going on? Hello? Hello, what's going on? Hello, hi. Um, my name is Gene. I'm actually calling from Scottsdale, Arizona. So uh, okay. I'm listening and uh, calling in. And the blog is like the only spot I could get inside Dolphin information all the way out here. But I'm calling to listen to you guys. I wanted to give you guys some inside information. I'm actually friends of a former NFL player. I played in the 80s and 90s. His name is Bill. His son is starting left tackle at uh, Nebraska. And about two months ago, we go to a local sports bar watching sports. And him and I talk a lot about the NFL. Again, pretty intense conversations. And I went to ASU and, um, you know, I watched Emil Douglas. And I got to tell you, you're right. He's going to be a sleeper. By midseason, he will start. He will be solid. And when he was at ASU, he always put a lot of extra time in all business. And he's doing the same thing from what I'm reading from the reports in training camp. And I asked this former NFL player, my friend, I asked him, what do you think about the Dolphins, about two draft picks? I said, Camille Douglas in the fourth round and Jordan Phillips. He said, Douglas, and this is a former NFL player. He actually has training camps for offensive line. So he knows some of these kids personally. He said right. he will be the starting guard. He said he will be the starting guard, and he's going to put extra time when the Dolphins need him to play any other position on the line. He will do it. And then I asked him about Phillips because I'm also a big Clemson Tiger fan, and I was advocating for Stephon Anthony. I was hoping I had read the Dolphins, brought their linebacker coach down there, hung out the whole weekend, and I'm like, this guy's the real deal. He's already with the Saints playing the same position, claw on the place. That is exactly what Miami – needs in the middle. They haven't had that since Zach Thomas. And I said about Phillips, I go, what's up with this guy? He said this. He goes, he's a freak. He's going to be awesome, especially with Sue there and the coaching. He said he didn't get the proper coaching in Oklahoma. And he knew some of the guys in the staff there. He said he really didn't mix and match well. A lot had to do with coaching, but he says he's going to be <laughs> fine. But uh, another question I had, we were talking about how this is a problem I haven't really been really read about this is the linebackers and coverage. I know Jenkins is really good, but give me an example. In the Super Bowl, when Gronkowski was flanked all the way out and had the linebacker all the way out there, when I was watching, I was watching this former NFL player, and he, we looked at each other and goes, that's going to be a touchdown. Because you need a safety that could cover that ground. And that Super Bowl, Earl Thomas was hurt. Couldn't get over to cover the top. One thing that worries me with the Dolphins, and I think with the defensive line now, with the pressure they're going to put, it's going to help out, disrupt the quarterback's rhythm. But a lot of teams are going to attack the Dolphins because they have short corners, and they're going to try to put big tight ends out there um, because their linebackers can't really cover that well. But having a quick safety that could cover over the top is really key. And uh, Lewis Delmas is awesome. I think he's a great leader. But that knee surgery, and I had two ACL surgeries, and it's tough. It, that's another thing that worries me a little bit. But that being said, the Dolphins absolutely have to get at this on that offensive line. It might cost them a starting player because of the salary cap, but I think with investment they made in Tannehill, they need to have – I think Douglas would be on one side, the left guard, and you have Matt's right guard, and you have um, Turner. Have Turner learn another year under Mathis, and then he'll be ready next year. I think that will help out the line. But as you said, left tackle, if Albert can't come back and he goes down – Look out! That's going to be, it's going to be a mess. But also another thing to look at is that 
the middle of the Dolphins' defense. If the Sue and the defensive line are not attacking and disrupting quarterbacks' rhythms, the Dolphins, once again, are going to pick apart the mismatches with that short secondary and their um, linebackers unable to cover. And the safety not covering a lot of ground, like an Earl Thomas, for example. That's something, those two positions I think Miami will address next year is the middle linebacker position, safety, I think, and also obviously the guard. But um, that being said, I want to note you guys, uh, your thoughts and inside information you have and uh, know, just your overall feedback. I right, uh, actually, if, if I was just going to say I was going to have him listen to us off the air because i got to keep moving through these cars. Is it okay if uh, we let you go and then uh, we'll answer your question uh, while, while yeah. you're uh, – <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. I just wanted to at least share some inside information that I have as a big fan and knowing some players. So, so thanks for your time. All right. No, I really appreciate it. I always love uh, when we have callers who um, go ahead and uh, they're privy to certain information and they share it with us. So thanks for giving us a call. We hope to hear from you soon. Uh, I don't want to speak for anyone else. I will just say that uh, I expect Walt Aikens to be that safety at some point. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but whenever I hear about uh, the safety, for the first time in a long time, I actually feel like the Dolphins might have something at free safety. And that, I, used to, I don't know if there's been a position for the Dolphins as a fan that I've bitched about more than the free safety position. And I actually, like, I mean, it's not something you're going to see week one and think, like, okay, like, right off the bat, we're going to see it. But I think that he's, I, unless someone, something's happened, unless some, someone has said otherwise, I think that he's the guy eventually, right? Yeah, and I was going to say something about the, the defense. It's talking about the middle of the defense. And, and um, my friend Oscar was saying some stuff on Twitter today, and he mentioned something uh, that kind of caught my eye. He was talking about, I, I think he said that he had, He's seen somewhere that um, Jordan Tripp and Jelani Jenkins were the uh, first team nickel. Those are the two guys that were in coverage. And he mentioned something. He said, uh, just lead in one linebacker and let Rashad Jones call the plays and let him kind of be the uh, – I remember at, at App State, we would have – basically he was the linebacker that was a glorified strong safety. Let him kind of play that second linebacker role and throw a a third safety out there, and that could be Walt Aikens because he's got some size. I mean, obviously he's not you know as big as Gronk or something, but he's got some size and has uh, experience. Excuse me, at cornerback, so I think that's that's a potential defensive front that they could use. I don't think they're going to mess much with the front four. I mean, you you know you've got Sue and Wake, Vernon and and, and and Mitchell and Phillips and all that. So you've got that going on. Everything behind that's a question mark, <clears throat> and so. We don't really know how well uh, Chris McCain can cover at, at linebacker, and we we know Jenkins can do well. Shepard and Macy are kind of not what you want back there. I, it would not surprise me to see them go with a one kind of a dime package look, but bring Rashad Jones up in the boxes like a, 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 the other linebacker, and throw Delmas and um, Aikens and maybe Michael uh, Michael Thomas or a, another corner back there to play uh, something like that. So. That, that's something I think would be interesting to look at. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the defense has some, some pieces to make some things like that work. So uh, that's something I would look forward to. The, the main thing there is uh, I, I want to see what 
if we get to see Tripp and Jelinkins, uh, Jelani Jenkins on the field at the same time uh, tomorrow night. But that that was just my thought. You know, moving moving Rashad Jones up into that uh, I can't remember the name of the position, but move it up kind of as a, an additional linebacker and throw some some of those other safeties to get them on the field like Aikens and Thomas. All right, if you guys, other guys want to come out, comment real quick, and then I've got two other callers i got to get to, so try to make it quick, but uh, what do you think? Personally, I, I was with this guy all the way up until he mentioned Evan Mathis at right guard. Then I, I kind of had to bite my tongue and, like, ah, you're, it, it, these, some people don't seem to remember that Evan Mathis hasn't played right guard since 2008. That was a long time ago. He's been exclusively left guard ever since then. So for him to just suddenly flip back to the right, I think, honestly, at this point, Jamil Douglas would have a better shot at switching back to right guard because at least he still he still has some room to be developed at that point. Mathis is not going to be developed anymore. He's at, He is a left guard, and if you try to flip him now, I'm afraid it might throw off his whole game. What about you, Dominic? What do you think? I think, um, well, first off, I don't think you want to sleep on Cedric Thompson um, fifth round pick. Man, we had a tremendous, tremendous fifth round uh, draft this year. But um, Cedric Thompson is going to put in that work. He may not start until like mid season, but I think he might be a guy that you might want to check out. But another guy, if they do that 360 thing, I think possibly. And I've always figured that Will Davis was a better safety than a than a corner. Um, He's got the for it. And if Lippitt and um, and our other corners, McCain, McCain, and whoever else, and Jamar Taylor all make it at um, at corner, might want to consider moving Will Davis to safety and giving him kind of like that. Uh, Jason Allen role because I mean he likes to live dangerously and that's exactly what a free safety does and that will give him a space in order to just kind of play behind the play until he can move up but All right, those are going two things to, to add to the mix going back to South Carolina uh, caller uh, we've got about just over 12 minutes left so uh, we got to make it a little fast but what's going on I've I done told with you guys earlier. I, this is the only way I can really get to hear you station, man, is by calling in and listening on air. Um, oh, okay. What I'll do is uh, I'll put you uh, in the queue then, and you can listen to us. All right. Thank you. No problem. I was going to say, I was like, man, we got a lot of callers from South Carolina tonight. Uh, all right. So this is our last caller for the evening. Uh, what's going on? Hello? Hello? Yes. What's up? Can you hear me? Hey, uh, first time caller, uh, new to this podcast thing. Sorry about that. Um, I was questioning, I was wondering, uh, with what we have on our line in Miami, does Lamar Miller reach, uh, 1200 yards or anywhere close to what he did last season? <clears throat> and what do you see with Devonte Parker in, uh, as far as touchdowns and Jordan Cameron? And I'm gonna go ahead and listen. Ooh. Okay. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, take you off there then. So um, I think we'll start with Lamar Miller is, I think of it from almost like a fantasy football perspective that it's boomer bust. 
because he can absolutely light it up, and you love his ability to catch out of the backfield. You're not loving the line that he has in front of him, especially with what Dalton Fan for Life trusts with the whole uh, chemistry. There's just a real lack of familiarity <laughs> with, the, with this front five right now. But, I mean, he can. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. I think one of the dangers right now is uh, as the season progresses, you wonder uh, um, how Ajayi goes ahead and asserts his will. Because you have to imagine that a back that big is really going to be able to make a difference with this team going forward. You'd like to think it happens this season. So with Lamar, I I don't know. 1,200 is... Yeah. I'm struggling with this one. I think that I would probably feel safe around 900 yards to 1,000 yards. I feel good in that time. I think in that range, I think he can absolutely exceed that. I still really like Lamar. I know he's a little inconsistent. But, I mean, that's the range I feel comfortable in. Go ahead, you guys. Okay, so Lamar Miller is something of a, something of an enigma still. I mean, he's he's he showed no signs of being who he wound up being early last season, but then later on he eventually became Lamar Miller, the one thousand yard running back. Can he repeat <laughs> himself? Can he repeat himself? Probably. He didn't. He did. He he did get the thousand yards with a line that was uh, pretty pathetic, anyway. So it, at this point, yeah. I can only imagine that with two guys who. Uh, are going to be run blockers primarily, assuming, well, even if Mathis does sign, it's still a run blocking primarily thing. Billy Turner is better at run blocking. Jamil Douglas is better at run blocking. So I would have to imagine that run blocking is going to be what they're good at, and that's going to help Miller run the ball. And I'm hoping that because he's bulked up, he's going to get more carries, which is which gets him a better shot at running the ball more. As for catching out of the backfield, yeah. Catching the ball is not his forte. I'd rather it be someone like Damian Williams or Michael James if they're going to try and do stuff like that because they've done a lot better with that aspect of it. So I'd rather have them as receiving weapons over Miller. So that can be when they kind of be the change of pace back if you need some. Miller is the better pure runner. The other two are better at um, are better at doing, being weapons out of the backfield. As for Jay Ajayi, eh, nothing. He's really hasn't done anything to impress me so far, and and truthfully, him being a big back, like he has a big body, but he doesn't play like a big back. He's not he's not he's not bruising anybody. He's kind of dancing in the backfield a little bit, so that's going to be a little bit of a problem for me until he can kind of reprogram himself into something that might be more NFL friendly. It's going to take him at least a year to develop, so I don't expect much out of him this year. So I don't expect a lot of, a whole lot out of a giant. Um, Jordan you know what, Cameron though? touchdown. What? Yeah. Oh, I will get to that that second half. We've got uh, just under eight minutes. What I was going to say is, I actually think that once the Jaya gets settled settled in more, I think I just have this feeling that as the season goes on, I think that at some point you're going to see that guy, and I think that he's going to be because the returns I've I've seen regarding a Jaya's performance has pretty much been in line with what you just said. But I think that as the season carries on and uh, you start to get that fit, really fatigue factor around the league, I think that he can be a pretty valuable commodity or a valuable weapon, depending on if he's able to settle in and stop dancing and really get into more of the north-south game. Uh, so you're kind of with me, though, in that I like Lamar as a repeat 1,000-yard guy, but uh, 1,200, 1,200 feels a little rich. 
That's really ambitious. Yeah, I, it's. I mean, I would love it. It would be awesome. What do, you, do you guys have any comments before we move on to the uh, to the um, receiver uh, tight end combo? I could see eleven hundred. In all honesty, it depends on the the Elfos, uh Damian Williams and um, and Jay Ajayi. If we end up having to use Lamar Miller as feature back, I could see him to eleven hundred. I might not see twelve. He's built like a sludge. Twelve hundred yards. Twelve hundred yards is five yards a carry, fifteen carries a game. So Dolphins split they pretty much share carries per drive, I think is how it goes. So you're going to see I mean he's gonna to have to get somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen to seventeen carries a game on average, which puts him in the upper echelon of running backs. I mean, I think uh, aside, I mean, if you look at DeMarco Murray, take him out of the equation because he had so many carries last year, everybody else all the way down to Miller in your, in your top 10 there, they average somewhere around 17 carries a game. So if he gets that, um, he's got a real good shot at it because it's going to be difficult to average five yards a carry. Um, that's, that's just, you know, that's a high number, but he he can do it. So that's kind of what you're looking at. So if he's if he's getting 15 to 16, 15 to 17 carries a game, and he averages right around five or, or a high mark like that, then he's got a real shot at 1,200. I just don't see him getting that and getting you know 300 carries. Uh, that that's not going to happen. They're not going to do that. So he's going to have to do it in somewhere in 240 to 260 carries. And so yeah, you know what? I'll put myself out there on this one. I think he's going to have a better year this year. I'll go ahead and make that prediction. I think that with the offensive weapons that he that are in front of him right now, I think that we were talking earlier, something's got to give. I think one of the things that will give is Lamar is going to have a little bit more wiggle room this season. So, uh, especially because with guys like uh, with Parker and Stills in there, you're not uh, you're still forcing teams to um, extend the top of the defense a little bit. Uh, you're not going to see a lot of guys cheating in on this uh, receiver crew. So uh, it, actually, and that ties into Parker, I have a hard time projecting just because when it, when is he healthy and ready to go? Because we kept hearing that he was going to be ready for the beginning of the regular season. Now we're seeing team, or we're seeing the team back off a little bit on that. I've seen that they're not sure if he's going to be ready until week two or week three. Uh, I do think that he's the kind of guy, and he and he's the kind of player, and this is the kind of offense, where he makes a splash almost right off the bat. I don't think it's something where he just kind of creeps in and you're like, oh, yeah, hey, there's Devontae Parker. I think he gets in there, and he adds an incredible element, a dynamic to this uh, receiver core that it doesn't currently have outside of uh, Jordan Camp in terms of the ability to really go up and get the football. So I I don't know. Um I'm trying to think of a number you could like if he scored if he scores anything over five touchdowns, I'll be stoked this year because it means he's in there and he's healthy. I don't mean to put kind of a a lowish number on it for what people expect, but I feel like five is probably my Mendoza line for him. Craig, I'm going what do you guys think? A much lower number than that. I, I first of oh. all the I'm I'm probably if if it's Devontae Parker 
and I'm assuming that he won't be ready to go right away. Even if he is healthy for week one, that doesn't mean he's going to be ready for week one because that would that means that he's missed out on valuable reps that he missed in training camp, and now he's going to have, kind of have to play catch up a little bit in next in the next few couple of weeks of practice. Maybe he'll be able to jump in the game eventually, but he's not going to be ready to the point where he's going to be playing over Stills and Landry and Jennings, who are the top three wide receivers. And depending on how well Richard Matthews plays once he gets into the game, which I suspect he'll do really well, that might decide, that might make the coaching staff decide to ease Parker in slower so that it's kind of a slow cooking process instead of turning the oven on to 500 degrees and waiting for it to cook quickly. Because then it's on the surface only, and then all the stuff in the middle is raw. So I'm going to say that Parker maybe gets two or three touchdowns because I don't expect him to be really, really, really involved right away because you see this is the laser offense that everybody is involved. You're not aiming specifically for Parker to get him more touchdowns. You're not aiming specifically for Stills or anybody else. It just depends who's there, and if you're there, then you're the one who's going to get the ball. It's not a matter of I'm gonna I'm in a certain situation I'm gonna look for this guy specifically I'm gonna find who's there you're you're there you're the you're the one so if we're gonna stick with for, the, if we're gonna stick with the cook, the cooking analogy though I think by midway this season he's cooking with gas I think that he's someone that once he that was the point we were making before that he's not heavily involved right now. He's certainly not on the field. You're waiting for him to get healthy. And football is not a game where you just jump in and make things happen right off the bat. But I think he's got the talent, ability, and skill set to really – he's another one where I think as the season wears on, he's going to become a factor. So I'm, I'm going to stick with five. I'm comfortable with five. Uh, if it's I... five, that's fine. That means that this offense is spread out. Uh, enough ruin on this offense. Uh, was able to register a decent amount of scores, then all around, I think you've got a pretty potent offense going forward. And we're not even factoring in what you get out of the backfield. So I'm going uh, to make, make a bold statement, and I think Devontae Parker gets somewhere around seven. And I would love that. Why, here's why. Well, that, I think people, seconds, are making, so. people are making That's way okay, too much out of this practice and forgetting that they have – there's a reason why he was a first-round pick and graded in the top ten. So, I would agree. Still got a practice, though, man. I, I think he's he just got to know the playbook. That's it, and he can do that sitting down. As far as running the plays, there's a reason right, why he got was a first-round pick. All right, we got about ten seconds left. We got to wind it down. Thank you, everyone, for who called in tonight. Uh, uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night. We'll see you next week for more. All right. Good night. Good night. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.